0: community it's all about the vision and the understanding that God is calling us to build a community of faith and to grow as a disciple and follower of his let's do that let's not settle for mediocrity Good morning. My name's Jake, I'm an associate pastor here uh, at Schweitzer. It's really, really great to be with you. I wanna start uh, with the scripture this morning. If you would, I invite you to pull out the Bible in front of you, maybe pull out your phones if you have the Bible app, all good Christians have the Bible app, right? Um, Philippians chapter two, and and I say this, um, seriously, I want you uh, this morning, if you would like to, to leave it open. And as, uh, as I speak and as you listen, we can engage the text together throughout this time. So we're in the book of Philippians, chapter two, verse 12. And we're gonna be starting in 12b, which is halfway through. Here we go. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation. I wanna start this morning by talking about salvation, maybe redefining it for some of us. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, so this might be a repeat, but I think it bears repeating. Um, And a lot of of you may not have been here. And so, what is salvation? Often uh, in, in the church, salvation has been equated with forgiveness, or the, the theological term we use is justification, like that God has, has justified us, he has declared us righteous, he has forgiven our sins, and that's what it means to be saved, right? So you hear people say, like, well, I was saved on November 13th, 2004, or um, once saved, always saved, and that, that's the type, that's the, the definition of salvation that they're using when they say those things, is that we were saved, and, and that's biblical, In the Bible, there is that uh, language that we have been saved, but there's also frequent language that says, we are being saved and we will be saved. And what that means is that salvation is a process that only begins when we are justified, when we are forgiven for our sins. As I said a few weeks ago, we are forgiven. If you, have, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ who has died for your sins, you have been forgiven for your sins. You have been justified. You have been declared righteous and made right with God. You have that. And, and you, uh, in the same way that you can't be kind of pregnant or almost pregnant, you can't be kind of forgiven or, or almost forgiven. That's just not, you either are or you aren't, okay? And so, so then what is salvation? It's more than forgiveness, it's perfection. It's not just the forgiveness of sin, it's freedom from sin altogether. It's being made into the image of Christ so that all that we do is motivated by love for him, to be formed into his image. That's salvation. And it's important we understand that in the context of the scripture, right? Because if we have the first definition, when Paul writes, work out your salvation, what we would hear is work towards being forgiven. And that's not what Paul is saying. That's not good theology, right? We don't work towards being forgiven. We place our faith in Christ as our savior and and we are forgiven. What we work towards, what we strive for is the very work that God is doing in us to make us holy, to sanctify us, right? That's what Paul means when he says work your salvation. And he says, for or because it is God who works in you. Both to will, that means to desire, and to work for his good pleasure. So in this verse, we could, we could call salvation, um, when we have reached the end of salvation, when God has completed his work in us, what that means is that we will always and forever do only that which pleases God, and we will delight in doing it. So we will always do that which pleases God and we will always delight in doing it. That's the end goal of salvation. And anyone who has strived for this, who has has tried hard to make this a reality knows how difficult it actually is. Now one more thing in in the context of this scripture The way that we are to strive, the way that we are to work out our salvation. We have a couple examples here. Just before it, he shows the example of Christ, still in chapter two, when he says that that Jesus, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's one example. There's another example that Paul, uh, where he he describes how he strives for this, how he works out his salvation in in chapter three. And he says, there's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward to what lies lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when you read a a lot of Paul and and other writers too, uh, you hear this language. Striving, achieving, attaining, we're pressing on, pressing forward, and that's the type of striving we are to do. So if you've even begun this work, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say how often it is that our will is not God's will. If you've even attempted to begin working out your salvation, you know firsthand, just like I do, how often it is that we are not motivated by God's love. We are not motivated by thanksgiving. We're not motivated by passion or excitement or compassion for other people. We're, just, we're, we're not motivated to do the things that please God. And at times we are, but we know that that time will always come where we do not have the motivation of love to do what pleases God, and that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, all right? In those times where we're just not feeling it, where love, joy, excitement, passion, compassion, you name it, when those aren't motivating us to do the will of God, how is it that we are still to work out our salvation? Where does our motivation come from? Now, a couple of weeks ago, my, my wife, Kayla, and I are, are very aware of this uh, reality that we, that we want to be made holy, we want we want to live uh, good lives before God and, and please Him. Um, but at times we just don't want it enough, right? And and our lives reflect this truth because you know we we want to go to the gym and stay in shape, and just some weeks we don't make it, and we want to do better with. Serving in this area. Or do, I mean, you, you get what I'm saying. We just, and we end up not doing it. And what's going on? How can we, how can we be motivated? And so what we did one Saturday morning is we watched a couple motivational videos, popped them up on the TV. And I love a good motivational speaker. I really do. You know, I mean, it, it can be effective for me. And I figured like at least up to a day at times, uh, if, uh, if there's a really good motivational speaker, it, it puts a fire inside me, right? It gives me drive. It gives me passion. It gets me excited. And I want to, to want the things that I know I should, but it always wanes, right? The motivation I get from these videos always, always goes away. And so here's how my mind works. All right, we watch a couple of these videos and I think to myself, okay, if they usually last about a day, if I could just pull off watching one motivational video a day for the rest of my life, I'd be good, I'd be gravy. I'd always be motivated to do the right thing. But there's one small problem. If I follow that train of thought and I know myself well enough to know that there are gonna be mornings when I wake up and I don't have the motivation to watch a motivational video. Then what do I do? And so you get my my dilemma, right? If you carry that to its logical conclusion, it's like the only way to to always be motivated is to always be inundating ourselves with these means of of, of changing our desires, making us uh, to want the things that we know we should. We never get anything done because i just constantly be watching motivational videos or constantly be listening to sermons or relying on Christian literature or or good worship music. I mean, you name it. All of these things that are meant to make us want what we know we should, they're good things. Good things, but they will always fall short. Because there will always come a day where no matter matter how much of that stuff that you've indulged in, right? No matter how much motivation you've taken in, you just don't care. There will just be those mornings I experience these sometimes where you just wake up and there's not a bone in your body that wants to please God. There's not a passage of scripture. There's not a song on the radio. There's not a person in the world who could convince you that life is fun and exciting and awesome and God's great or whatever. It's just just that you're just not motivated by those things. And you all know what I'm talking about. I know you do. So again, we go back to the question, what do we do? How do we obey God? How do we work out our salvation when we are not motivated by these things? Well, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to hear this word from God this morning because this is a word that I heard from God on Monday is I was, I was just mulling over this text, and I'm praying over it, and God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to the congregation? And I heard, a, God asked me a question. And he said, Jake, when's the last time that you obeyed me out of fear and trembling? When's the last time you feared me? When's the last time, Jake, that you trembled in my presence? When's the last time that you, you shuddered at the thought of transgressing me, of, of making me angry? Or that you quivered at, the, at the, just the idea of disgracing my name? Because remember, Jake, I am God. So God asked me these questions, and I just honestly, I'm being completely honest with you. My answer to the best of my knowledge, is like almost never, almost never, I don't remember the last time before this week that when I wasn't feeling it and when I wasn't really like in line with God's will that I just, that I did what he wanted to do because I feared him, because I trembled at the thought of, of disobeying God, the king of the universe. I don't remember the last time. And there's, there's, there's something deeply wrong with that. It's time, Schweitzer, that we develop, all of us, a healthy fear of God. And when I say fear, I don't wanna, I don't wanna dull it down. I don't wanna make it seem all like peachy and rosy and fun. Like we, we, we tend to want to do this, right? Like fear of God, um, it's just, it's reverence, right? It's just, it's just like deep respect and awe is what really what fear means. It's not actually fear, right? Because God doesn't want us to fear him. And I just, that's, guy I, I get that train of thought. I've even been someone who's said that before, but I'm telling you, that's just, that's not biblical. It's not, I mean, I, I'm reading Hebrews 12 this week where um, it's talking about this and it, it describes God as a blazing fire, a darkness and a gloom, a mighty windstorm. We get pictures of God in in, in Exodus and like literally um, the people are just like, you go, Moses, we cannot be in his presence. They're, They're terrified of the God that's on that mountain. Terrified. I'm not arguing that we should replace love with fear. I'm really not. I'm I'm not arguing that we should replace love with fear. What I'm arguing this morning is that when we are not motivated by love or joy or excitement or passion or thanksgiving, when we're not motivated by those things, what we shouldn't do is fall back to apathy and laziness. We shouldn't fall back to selfishness or, or pride or whatever. What we should fall back to is a healthy fear of God recognizing that He is God and we are not. That should be our fallback. Now, I <laughs> growing up, uh, my mom was a disciplinarian in the house, and she could do this thing. It was really incredible, where she'd be, she'd be talking on the phone. And us kids would be horse playing, you know, and just getting real annoying and distracting and whatever. And she would just, in the middle of it, she'd stop her conversation with her. No, she'd keep talking with her friend. And she's talking and she'd just snap her fingers and look at us. And we would freeze, I mean, freeze in fear. It's really incredible. And all her friends would ask her, how do you do that? And I still, to this day, I don't know how she would would strike the fear of God into us like that, but it worked. It absolutely worked. I know, know firsthand what, what healthy fear is like. And the thing is, you know, growing up in, in, in my house, that story makes it sound like my mom was this heavy disciplinarian. She's really hard on us and strict and stringent, and that's not even close to true. She's the most kind, gentle, supportive, caring, loving, I mean, I could go on and on person fantastic mother who at times we feared greatly and it kept us in line. And I know, I know that, that many of your personal experiences are different, and that you grew up in churches that motivated um, people primarily with fear, right? And you, and you maybe grew up in a household or, or in different situations where people of authority and power, they lorded fear over you like in, in a really unhealthy way. It's not the type of thing I'm talking about here, all right? I don't think God wants you. There's certain things he doesn't want you to fear. I, I never feared my, my mother was gonna give up on me, you know? I never, I never feared that she was gonna kick us out of the house. I never feared those types of things. It was like I understood that she, she loved us, and God doesn't want us to fear those types of things either. He wants us, there's some things he wants us to know, but there's a, there's a healthy fear of God. There's a type of fear that falls underneath the umbrella Of love. I really do believe that. There's a type of fear that when it's real, when we really understand who God is and who we are, and we tremble in His presence, that it actually amplifies our love for Him. It amplifies His mercy. It amplifies how thankful we actually should be that that God. That mighty windstorm, that blazing fire became man and humbled himself and loved us. He continues to love us and he's gentle and he's slow to anger and he's kind and he's abounding in steadfast love, but he is also God who disciplines his children. He does. It's more in Hebrews 12. I really encourage you to read Hebrews 12 when you go home. It's, do not take lightly the discipline of the Lord, it says. Now, if you're still struggling to accept this idea of fear and fearing God in a healthy way, I just encourage you to read your Bible. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean, really, just open up your Bible. Google sometimes where people, like, entered into the presence of God. And what you will find is that some of the holiest people in Scripture, when they are in the direct presence of God, they cannot stand I mean, their fear is like this, this heart-pounding breath taking speechless, knee-quivering, pant-wetting fear. I mean, that, it, it is fear, and they fall on their face because they cannot stand. I mean, it, it's, it's real fear. It's more than just deep reverence or respect. It's the type of fear that in those moments I don't, they don't even think in consequences. It's just all they, they just see God, and it's instinctual, like you cannot stand. All throughout scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament. You can find it with Jesus. There's a story where the woman, she she reaches out and touches his robe and he turns around and says, who did that? And the woman, she falls at his feet with fear and trembling. The Mount of Transfiguration, where they saw Jesus transfigured before God and God was there and Elijah was there and this whole, and and Peter, James, and John, Peter's just uttering out this like stupid stuff and it says because, because they were terrified It's terrified, it's just just real, it's just a reality. That when we enter into the presence of God, we will fear, we will. Which is why I propose that we need to enter into the presence of God, we must. If we're ever gonna be motivated by love or fear, or anything else, it happens when we encounter the living God. So in, since the earliest days of Methodism, there have been three general rules. And these three general rules, if you're a leader here at Schweitzer at all, you've signed a leadership covenant, agreeing to live by these rules, saying you're gonna do this to the best of your ability. And these rules are, are do no harm, avoid evil of all kinds, do good, as much good as you can possibly do all the time everywhere you go, and stay in love with God. And now that third one, staying in love with God. Well, you see it right there. It's called attend upon the ordinances of God, all right? That's the the original language, is attend upon the ordinances of God. And what John Wesley meant when he wrote that is that the ordinances are those things that we do, like worship, prayer, fasting, et cetera, communion, to enter into the presence of God. If you go to the next slide, you'll see, here it is. Staying in love with God, and in today's language, We've changed that, attend upon the ordinances of God to staying in love with God. And there's some real truth to that, all right? Because if we spend time in in public worship, we really worship in the ministry of the word, which is what we're doing right now, expounding scripture, communion, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting and abstinence. If we do these, if we really encounter God, we will absolutely stay in love with him. But you know what else will happen? There will be times where we cannot stand there will be times where just the thought of doing something that transgresses God's will is terrifying. That's just a reality. We gotta, we, we, we gotta do more of this. What these all have in common is they're, they're primarily a means of, of seeking and experience and interacting with God. And when this happens, when we interact with God, when we have an experience with Him, we change. Our motivations change, whether it be love, or joy, or excitement, or whether it be fear, we have what we need to obey God's will. And what I think maybe some of you might, might be thinking is, is, Jake, I do some of those things. Maybe I do all of those things. Why aren't my motivations changing? And I think it's because if we take our prayer life for instance, too often when I talk to Christians about their prayer life, it's, they're just like, you know, I'm praying for Bobby Sue and Sally Joe and Johnny Bo and whatever, you know, just, and, they're just, and they're just praying, checking things off the list and just God, please do this, please do this, please do this, please do this, help me with my anxiety, help me with, and then they're done. They never pray, that's, that's, their, that's their prayer. And I'm telling you from from personal experience that that, that's not the type of prayer that's ever gonna change your life. There is something to prayer. There, There are times where it's perfectly appropriate to fall asleep when you pray. There really are. But there are times where it's completely inappropriate, not proper, to fall asleep when you pray. Just as an example, I mean, there are times where it's like, well, you gotta you got understand what, what's happening here is, is you are stepping near to the throne of the almighty king of the universe. You are in, in his presence. We are in his presence when we pray. We, the words that we're getting ready to speak to him, he will hear and he very well may even speak to us. And so we, we do this when we pray. It's like, if you want prayer to change, you do it in such a way that you're recognizing who it is that you're talking to and get down on your, on your face and just tremble. It's like, God, Whew, breathe. Because when you recognize what's going on, you can almost feel the breath being taken out of you. Like, oh, this is big time. So prayer should not always be as casual as it is. Sometimes prayer is just simply being in the presence of God. In the same way, public worship when we walk into this sanctuary, the way we walk into the sanctuary, what we do when we worship, what, we, what, what are you expecting to happen, you know? Sometimes I think that we just expect to leave just motivated by, by love and grace and goodness and whatever, and, and that's, sometimes that happens, but when we encounter the living God, if we really do, if the Holy Spirit really falls on this place, what very well might happen is that you will fall on your face. And you gotta be ready for that. You gotta be, you gotta be willing to do that. When you read your scriptures, just, there are so many Christians who just don't understand what this is about. This isn't about just like acquiring knowledge, you know? This isn't about just just reading your, your daily plan and, and okay, I did what I was supposed to do for the day or whatever. What, if you're not actually interacting with the living God who lives and breathes and speaks through this text, then it's not accomplishing its, its purpose. I mean, there's, there's a time and a place for Bible study, no doubt. The better we understand it, the better we can, we can encounter God, all right? But the word of God, are not, it's not the words on these pages, it's the living, breathing being beneath it that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, exposing those things you don't want it to expose. I mean, it, it hurts at times when you really hear the word of God, when you really meet with him. That's what should be happening when we read scripture. Fasting and abstinence. I know already that most of us in here don't fast, all right? And what I'm gonna say this morning is that we need to. Unless there's some major health concern or whatever. I just, when you, when you, Read scriptures when you look at um, Christian tradition, tradition in all kinds of religions. Anyway, fasting has been around for hundreds, um, even, even thousands of years, and it was a practice in the early church where like the apostles, it's almost like they, they didn't even make, they did not make a big decision unless they fasted and prayed. You know, I mean it's just like we need to separate ourselves from this fleshly desire for for food, so that we hunger and we thirst for God and we pray with a purpose, and we fast and we pray, waiting to hear something special and life-changing from God. And I think our lives would honestly be different if we did this. I honestly, um, I don't know how, how people can work out their salvation apart from these practices apart from encountering God. There are days where I'll miss just a really good prayer time with God where I miss those opportunities to really encounter him. And those days, I'm like a fish out of water. I don't have a chance. There isn't anything that's gonna gonna make me please God. I just, I'm living for myself if I don't encounter him. And there are days where I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm just a person you wouldn't wanna be around. And when I spend time with God, really spend time with him, I come out of that experience a new person. I mean, it is like, you can ask my wife. It, that's what happens. How do you think it is that Jesus was able to pull off living a sinless life? How do you think it was, it was, it was Jesus? How do you think Jesus was able to, to go to the cross in obedience? Before his ministry, he spent 40 days in the desert, fasting and praying, preparing. Before he went to the cross, he spent all night without sleeping, sweating his blood literally and praying in the garden, God, please, can there be any other way? And where he ended that prayer was, thy will be done. We should do nothing until we have entered into the presence of God. Seriously, every day that we get up, we should do nothing until we have experienced the presence of God. Right now we're in this series called "Be Part of This." If you're a part of Schweitzer and all the awesome things that are going on here, um, next week we're asking you to come back with your financial commitments for next year. And when I say you should do nothing until you've you've been in the presence of God, I apply this to that. All right, take these cards home today. We've got these uh, giving commitment cards for 2018, and I'm, I'm do nothing with this. Do not do anything with this card until you've been in the presence. Of God. Ask for His discernment. Ask for His will. And it just may be that He blesses you with with so much love. It's just pouring over so much joy. And that this year you can be a cheerful giver. And God loves a cheerful giver, man. He loves it. This may be the year that you can give more than you've ever given, and and you can do it joyfully. And man, God will bless you. But this may also be the year where giving is painful. (laughs) and you're not motivated by any of those fun and exciting things, but you've gone into the presence of God, and you fear him, and you know what you have to do. I can't be God for you. No one else can be God for you. My final word of encouragement um, comes from our same text in Philippians 2. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The New Living Translation says that God is working in you to, uh, to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And this is the real encouragement. That although uh, in this life, at least where we're at right now, although we don't have all the desires that we should have, God is working to change your desires. Like I said at the beginning, there will be a day where this obedience thing doesn't really feel like obedience, you know? Doesn't, doesn't really feel like, like you're a slave. <laughs> there will be a day where you delight in doing the will of God, but leave that work, that work of changing your desires, of transforming your heart up to God. In the meantime, Spend time with him, love him, give thanks, and fear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that in this uh, time of closing worship, that this doesn't. I pray that this isn't closing worship at all, but that this is the beginning of a new day, the beginning of our our week. We just do everything we can to step into your presence, to recognize you for who you are. And if you wanna bless us with, overflowing emotions of joy and thanksgiving or whatever, then do that, God, please. But for those of us this morning that just aren't feeling it, I, I pray, I pray that, that your grace, your grace motivates us with fear. I pray that by your grace, we understand reality <laughs> that we see you for who you truly are and that we are humbled that we leave changed. God, we rely on you. We seek you. We want you. We love you. We fear you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.